and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You're with the double L team, Lyle and... Wilson. Who is laughing at me right now for nearly... Dubbing up. It's funny because you have said that so many times. Like, I, how long have you been doing radio? Oh, I don't know. Since, what, 2017? Mm, I don't remember. Yeah. Well, let's say if it's since 2017, that's like for almost five years. Yes. And so you've probably said that maybe 800 times. Maybe. And, you know... Yeah, I enjoy giving the welcome and welcoming everybody here. It's the of course you do. But the, my, my point is, is that you've we said you said it guys. so many times that if you make a mistake, of course you're going to get ridiculed. In fact, you deserve it. <laughs> right, right. I see how this goes. I see how this works. I see what's going on here. Yeah. Okay. All right. So. What are you thankful for this morning? You're thankful, thank- you're thankful, thankful you're able to go on air and ridicule to, Lyle, right? To bring about Lyle Southwell's downfall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you see what's happening, guys? He's tr- he wants to sit in my seat. That's, that's what it's all about. <laughs> mate, like- mate, I can sit in your seat whenever I want. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> if you're going to sit in my seat, Lawson, you got to get up earlier than me. I'm easy. safe. Easy. I am safe. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> in fact, I enjoy it because I get to sleep in. Sitting in this chair means less responsibilities, more fun. No, but that's the thing is that like... No well, you know what I'm thankful for this morning? What are you thankful for? I'm thankful that Lawson is here to keep me humble and that uh, I can be such a humble person. Wow. <laughs> Lyle Southwell, the <laughs> meekest man on <laughs> No, that's Moses. Oh, oh, oh. Can't take that away from Moses. The second (laughs) You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Lyle. Yes. So, you know those things, particle accelerators? Yes. They're big circular things that they send electrons and muons and all these things around. one in Switzerland or whatever it's called. Yeah. The big one in Switzerland, or they have, they have a few around the world now um, that are smaller and, you know, as the technology's developed, they've been able to make them smaller and smaller in scale. The one that I'm looking at here is, you know, inside the size of maybe like a, a factory warehouse, something like okay. that. Okay. Um, but basically, uh, some research has been done in a, in a particle accelerator in Chicago um, where they have thought to possibly found another force of nature. Ooh! Which is oh, that's cool. Which is massive. This is like huge news in the scientific world, um, because you know the current forces of nature. There's four of them: um, ga- gravity, electromagnetism, um, and then the two nuclear forces, which is strong force and weak force. This is basically what governs our universe yes. and movement and everything. Well, what, so we think, you know. So we think. This that's is right. what what holds us together. What we can observe to hold us together. But they were uh, sending particles called muons, which is basically a larger version of an electron. Electron is very, very similar. Um, they were sending them around the particle accelerator, doing experiments with them. And they observed it like wobbling in this weird way that was just against any theory that they currently have. Like, it didn't fall under any of the forces. So that- there was no reason for it to wobble. Yeah. 
It the, just wobbled. Yeah, well, it's like, you know, the you wobbling is... is <laughs> wobbling's the word that I'm using, and it's the word that they're using to describe it in layman terms, but it was some kind of movement that they had never really seen before, and so there's two possible answers. There was a variation of movement. Yes. Which, which is... Uh, which is... The scientific word is wobble. Wobble, yeah. Wobble. Well, yeah. It was wobbling, and, and see, like, yeah, under their understood forces of nature, they're, they're like, look, there's two conclusions here. Either this is a new particle that we have never seen before or there is just because they're like oh but that's unlikely because we're using muons maybe it you know changed into something under the great speed and pressure but they're like no what could be going on here is that there is just another force of nature which is insane that so so they think there's another force of nature but they don't actually know what it is yeah the force that causes us to wobble i guess but right, yeah. so if you see lawson wobbling down the road it's like hmm that, that, that extra force of nature <laughs> are forces of nature moral ooh we've been discussing this Oh, no, no, the if they can find something, if they can find something new there that we're unfamiliar with, imagine if there's another force of nature that is affecting absolutely everything that we do. Yes, and has not yet been discovered. Mm. That would be really cool, dude. It's like it, it, it's like reminds me of like you know the discovery of the Higgs boson. When it like throws back, it's like, oh, the Higgs boson, it turns out that everything we knew about science is wrong. And they yes. literally called it the God particle because it's the particle that has yes. the ability to do everything. And, and this is the thing. Science always publishes stuff with such great confidence. And then, of course, the year, the next year they have to rewrite their science book because it was actually wrong. Uh, and the biggest thing that we ever learn in science is how much we don't know. A hundred percent. See, that's the biggest thing that science tells us. And it's interesting that, yeah, the scientific models that were created in the past, it's not like we've just, you know, there's very few of them that we've just continually built on. Like, oh, yeah, this baseline understanding is true. And so then, oh, and the next understanding we kept, like, it's a progression. Um, no, like, that's not the case at all. Rather, so much of, like, so much of what we have published with so much confidence has just been scrapped by yes. what we know now. Like, yes. it's like, oh, actually, we were completely wrong. Yes. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. We had John Ashton on the phone yesterday. Yes. Talking about that very thing, you know, our, our perceived, our radiometric ID, dating, you know, radiometric dating. Yeah. Perfect. It's like our understanding of what's correct and incorrect. Like, it's, you know, it, we need, and, we and the need principle to, of uniformity and how it just ooh. is completely a flawed method of being mm. able to understand the past. Because 100%. it doesn't work. It doesn't exist. <laughs> uniformity is not a thing. Yeah. But it's like what, what it just shows me is that without philosophy, like, you know, these scientific discoveries and everything, like, and the, and the different methods that you come up with to explain these things without some kind of underlying philosophy... Uh, you know, they'll just go all off, all off over the place. Um, whereas, you know, as Christians, we're incredibly privileged and lucky to have some kind of reference point and we can, in, and be, because of that, you know, you talk to these, these scientists who, who, um, in their own life, like believe, believe in what the Bible says. And it's like, we have such a solid, uh, picture such a solid method of of what's going on, you know, when we explore the world through the lens of science. So, yeah, I just thought that was really cool. I'm like, man, new force of nature, that's that's epic. And we'll see how this progresses. Maybe this, you know, will unlock the key to more understanding about the world and even, you know, about how God created it. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. 
Okay, so here's a phone calling out there. We'll see if we've got some, some uh, answers coming through. Um, refugee crisis brewing in the United States right now. Oof. So this was something we weren't expecting under the Biden administration. Um, of course, um, under the Trump administration, the United States was taking in about 15,000 um, refugees annually. Mm-hmm. Um, that was what the number was set up. And, of course, uh, Biden promised to increase that to 125,000. Yep. Uh, which is a significant increase. Mm. Of course, he uh, signed the executive order to get that underway, um, I think, was in his first day in office. Ooh. And, you know, it's not exactly an open borders kind of situation. You've got a country of 350 million people, 125,000 is, you know, a pretty small figure when you look at it from that perspective. <laughs> But uh, so um, Biden signs the executive order, um, which means that there's been a whole bunch of refugees that have been sort of in waiting and so forth. They all then get approved. Then what happens is that you've got all of these faith-based um, NGOs mm. um, and there's kind of six really big ones in the United States that deal with refugees coming into the United States. Mm. And so these are you know, non-government organisations and they are run by various churches in the US. And so, of course, in uh, preparation for this, they've had to invest heavily because they're like, well, we're going to go from 15,000 to 125,000. And so they've geared up big time Mm. to deal with the increased numbers, took on extra staff, uh, extra infrastructure, et cetera, et cetera, to prepare for the influx. Then you've got the uh, the families because a lot of the refugees coming in already have family in America. Mm. So their families and their communities like, okay, we know, you know, we know the names of all the people that have been approved and they're setting up welcoming parties and arranging housing and places for them to stay, um, all this kind of thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, just sort of getting together and having a bit of a celebration. Of course, a lot of, you know, digital messages flying backwards and forwards across the world as the excitement builds. The refugees, of course, on the other side of the world, places like the Congo, you know, some pretty, yeah, pretty dark yeah. kind of places. Of course, they've sold everything. Mm. All their possessions, except for what they put into, you know, a couple of suitcases, which is how it goes with a refugee. You sell, you sell your house, you sell, sell everything you've got. Um, and, uh, of course, this is after getting approval because you've got to go and get all of your medical clearances, etc., which are really expensive in these countries. Yes, yeah. Um, so it's a major, major expense for them. Um, go to the airport to find out the flights have been cancelled. Oh, heavy. Because America is not ready for them yet. It's all been signed up and all done and they haven't built the infrastructure, they don't have anything in place to in America to be able to handle it yet. Okay. In terms of, like, what's part... in All what of part? The, the... On the government side. Oh. Yikes. That has... And now you've got terrible. tens of thousands of refugees overseas. Now, a refugee is somebody who's fleeing from their country because they kind of need to flee from their country. Yeah. And some of them are actually stuck in the countries that they're trying to flee from. Wow. And uh, they are in dire dire straits overseas Mm. Um, and of course you know you've got family and friends waiting for them at this end and the go to the airport and the flight's been cancelled and so then of course while america does try and gear up to go from it receiving 15,000 to 125,000 which is you know there's a a significant um gearing up 
While that does happen, they get stuck in what's called a um, a revolving door of expired medical clearances where the medical clearances come through at different times. They only yeah. last for two months. They're incredibly expensive to get um, and some family members are getting them sooner than others and so parents might get them before kids and vice versa. So families are being broken up. Um, it's just turned into a massive, massive refugee crisis. Wow. Um, so we need to be praying for this situation mm. right now. We need to be praying for these refugees. It's a, I can't imagine anything more awful, you know, yeah. particularly being, you know, married to somebody who's from overseas, uh, being stuck in a different country and not being able to be together. And some of these, you know, are families that have been separated for years. Wow. Mm. And now they can be together and then they can't. Yeah. And they don't know when that's ever going to change. Mm. Well, it's not just that, like, oh, you know, uh, it, you know, it didn't pan out. Like, th- they're in an in infinitely worse situation now in their oh, country. infinitely worse. Because they, infinitely they don't worse. have anything. And then you've got all of your faith-based uh, NGOs and so forth in the US that geared up for it, and now they've got to fire a bunch of staff. They've got, you know, all kinds of equipment and housing and whatever else. My, my question is, empty. is, like, which... What infrastructure isn't ready for them? What, they just didn't do the paperwork? They, like... Well, I don't understand the whole refugee process, so maybe somebody who is a refugee could could help explain. I'm just wondering, you know, is it really that hard? Just get on a plane. Yeah. Just like you've got, you've got all the all, all of the all of the clearances are done and it's yeah. legal. I mean, these are not illegal immigrants. We're not, not talking really, about illegal immigrants here. We're talking about genuine refugees who have been approved by the system. And not only, yeah, not only is all the clearances done, like, whatever government in- infrastructure needs to come in, these people have family overseas and they have NGOs yeah, who are ready, willing and ready right. to accept Just them. Just send them. Like, even if they ended up overseas, and God forbid, like, they ended up in a in a bad situation, oh, like, you know, we don't have anywhere to put you. One of these NGOs who is ready for them, they, they like... This is what are, churches are for. Yes. This is what churches do. Yes. And even if, and even if uh, the NGOs are swamped, which they're saying that they're not... Mm-hmm. They they're saying, had to no, fire people. They've had to fire people. They're like, we're ready for it. We can handle 125,000 right now. Yeah. That's what the NGOs are saying. But if they're worse swamped, go to any church. You know, <laughs> like if someone came to your church, if, a, if the government came to your church and said, hey, can you handle a couple of refugees? You would handle them. Yes, of course. You would find accommodation for them. Dude, like, oh, man, it's so easy. Ah, I tell you, it's just like, really? Yeah, that's In heavy. a country like, you know, anyway, whatever. <laughs> it's got my, it's got my head spinning, that one. Oof. Yeah. Okay, so this next story is a really tragic story. Um, Ex-NFL star Philip Adams, um, who played for the San Francisco 49ers and the New England Patriots, has uh, just been involved in a mass shooting suicide. Oof. Um, and so basically what happened was that um, his career was cut short. His career lasted about 10 years, mm-hmm. uh, but it was cut short by a uh, traumatic brain injury that he yes. uh, sustained from numerous concussions. Mm. And, you know, his father just said, look, the football just completely messed him up, um, and he was never the same person again after playing football, and um, traumatic brain injuries are pretty horrific. Mm. Anyway, he broke into the home or, or, or walked into the home of, of his doctor who'd uh, been treating him for many, many years and shot the whole family and uh, one of their employees and then turned the gun on himself. And, you know, this is a story that sort of highlights an important issue here. Traumatic brain injuries are one of those things that 
tend to get swept under the carpet because they are invisible. Mm. And yet they are a major issue for our, um, our service men and women because, you know, so many of them suffer from a, this invisible traumatic brain injury that they receive while they're overseas, you know, serving in some capacity. And it's the kind of thing that they never report. It's like, yeah, they just get up and go back to work because it's kind of invisible. And then it destroys them over a number of years and creates a massive number of uh, mental illnesses and suicides. Mm. But not just our servicemen and women, our sportsmen and women yep. within some sports. You know, your, your more violent sports like football and um, you know boxing and so forth. Mm. This is actually a major issue, and we need to be stopping. You know, and you, you look at uh, NFL, and they wear more body armor than pretty much any other football code out there mm. and they're still receiving this I think there's an ethical question that needs to be asked about violent sports and how we actually protect mm. players and what we actually do about it yeah. Oh, well, coming from the, from the motorbike world, like, you know, I've had my fair share of head injuries and I personally know people who have suffered from CTE, um, who have, who have struggled in life because of it. Also, you know, uh, addiction to prescription medication. Like, there's some really heavy stuff there. Um, so yeah, it's definitely a topic we could unpack more, but unfortunately we are out of time right now. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia. And we have come to interview of the daytime. Joining us on the phone this morning is Jared Stackeroth from Science Magazine. Jared, welcome to the show. Hey, Lyle. Thanks for having me. Great to have you on the show, and we are excited to hear about uh, the latest edition of Science Magazine. Get a bit of a, a few of the highlights of what we can uh, hear about in this magazine. What is new and great and amazing about our latest edition? Yeah, Lyle, we've got a really interesting sort of cover story um, about deep fakes. I don't know if you or your listeners may have heard of this concept of deep fakes, but there's, there's the idea that they can actually edit people into videos, people who aren't there and aren't necessarily speaking, so famous people, people like Tom Cruise and Obama, it's been done to, and they edit them in, and it's very hard to tell that it's actually a fake video. So you can almost get them saying and, and doing whatever you want them to. And this has serious implications for, I guess, the future of, of truth and knowing what's fake and what's real, sort of scary stuff. So Nathan Tasker does a really good job of exploring the idea of finding truth in an age of deep fakes. And this is an interesting one because, you know, we've even had situations where there have been, you know, major blockbuster movies where one of the key actors has died halfway through filming and so they've just digitally created his character and finished the movie with him being there to the point where you don't know at what point you move from the real to the digital character that is actually playing the movie. Yeah, that's right. And I guess Hollywood blockbusters have millions and millions of dollars and so they, they have access to this technology. But I guess um, we've seen Photoshop and other programs become more accessible to anyone and everyone. And I guess as the technology gets more accessible, it will become broader in its spread and, and more and more people will be able to do that sort of thing. That's where the interesting conundrum, I guess, comes in from how to know, how do we know truth from from fiction? How, how can we tell when public figures have been put in compromising positions that it's not really them, it's, it's someone trying to 
um, who has a motivation or trying to get something for themselves out of the scenario. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting conundrum that we're faced with in this society. And you and I are probably old enough to remember a time period back in our childhood when photographic evidence was actually credible evidence. When you saw it, you believed it. It was like, well, because the photos don't lie. And that whole concept, that would have disappeared, what, back in the 90s or something or other, I'm thinking? Yeah, yeah. But then it sort of become available to anyone and everyone with a basic laptop. And so photographic evidence has disappeared. And so video evidence was the thing that people went by. And now we can't even go by video evidence anymore. That's right, yeah. I also sort of track that sort of history or the development of some of these technologies a little bit for us. I guess the good news in his article, you'll have to read it to find out, but he he sort of looks at how the Bible does talk about some of the deceptions um, that will come and and some of the things that people may be tricked by, but that if we hold uh, fast to God and his word, uh, that those things don't change and that God is trustworthy. So we can go to him with, some of our doubts and our concerns, and, and he can he can help us with those. So, yeah, it's a it's a it's an encouraging and hopeful place that the author takes us, rather than sort of dwelling on the the dangers and the the problems that can come out of this technology. Although it's good to be aware of those. Life. Absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, and it's great that the Bible has been around for thousands of years. And so it's got that very, very long track record. So we can actually believe it and trust in it as an authentic document compared to, you know, the things that come across our, our Facebook and our YouTube and whatever else, um, screen from one day to the next. And I just want to say too that I've read some of Nathan Tasker's material before and he's an excellent writer, an excellent researcher. And so I think this is, uh, well, it's a very, very topical subject to take up and to have a discussion about yeah what else is uh what else is happening in signs what are some of the other um highlights that we can expect to find in this month's edition one of the themes that this month sort of focuses on in light of easter which we've had at the beginning of, of april and also Anzac day coming up but is the theme of forgiveness so david Edgren writes quite a moving sort of um account of um forgiveness and struggling uh, to forgive and, and, and how healthy relationships require forgiveness. Um, and that's sort of followed up by an article on seven steps to apologize properly and effectively. So if we're the ones who need forgiveness, if we've uh, messed things up in relationship, there's some really good tips in how to sort of rebuild some of those bridges and to, to find forgiveness. And I, I don't know about you, Lyle, but it's something that I have at times struggled with in my own life is to find in my heart to forgive people or, or to work through sort of things where uh, forgiveness isn't necessarily deserved or even asked for. And, you know, the, the weight that it can put on, on my own shoulders um, if I don't take that step of forgiveness. So a really important theme in this issue that's developed and I think very practical, very helpful for, for our readers. It is, and it's been often said that, you know, when we, we, when we refuse to forgive someone, we, you know, we give them permission to live rent free in our brain and don't want to be giving somebody that has, that there's been friction with that kind of space, but it's the simple reality of how the human being works. It's nice to have an article here that will actually help us all to understand, okay, when I'm struggling to get rid of this person out of my brain because I can't forgive them, how can I actually, how can I actually deal with that? That's right. It's something um, scientific studies have actually showed some of the, I guess, devastating impact on 
even your own personal health that unforgiveness can lead to things like stress, even diabetes and sort of high blood pressure and things like that have been linked to an unwillingness to forgive. And so I guess it's great that our magazine can deal with those really important topics, um, those really practical topics, and hopefully our readers can find something in there that, that helps them or inspires them to to decide to forgive. What I find interesting about this theme of forgiveness in and, and, and when you just mentioned it at the introduction of the story, you mentioned that we have Easter and Anzac Day in the same month. Now, this has never actually occurred to me before. But it raises some interesting issues because I've got a lot of friends, and I think Australians now would have a lot of friends whose grandparents served on, you know, very, very different sides of the war or wars that Australia has been involved in in the past than what are, you know, remembered at Anzac Day. And how do we actually relate to that? How do we, do we practice forgiveness as a nation? Do we allow, you know, the descendants of, you know, people who served in the German Wehrmacht or the Imperial Japanese Army or something rather to remember their losses on a day like Anzac Day as well? Yeah, interesting question, Lyle. I was watching um, on the weekend a movie because about the Americans and the Japanese in the Pacific, um, a big, important battle in World War Two. And the end of the movie was dedicated to the Americans and the Japanese soldiers. And I guess that's something that, you know, we haven't seen in the past as much that, you know, they're less depicted as the enemy and more as just men individuals who suffered and fought through through a war. Our author, Daniel Reno, he's a, a lecturer in history and he's written a few books on, on Anzacs and, and that sort of thing. He examines, I guess, the light and the darkness of Anzac Day. Some of the problems we've heard recently that the Australian um, forces have been called into question for some less than chivalrous sort of act in the war theatre that they've been involved in recently. And yeah, Daniel Reno looks at I guess the history of Anzac Day and how it's gone a bit up and down in terms of public acceptance, how it was brought in as a bit of propaganda and, and to, to sort of encourage Australia to get behind the troops and how at different times in our history we've had a very different relationship to it. And I guess that, that brings in, or he also brings in the enemy, for want of a better word, who, who we faced in some of those wars are now people that live and work with us. How do we understand Anzac Day, even as people who are seeking to know God better, because God is a God who is loving and forgiving, and I I see God as an anti-war kind of God, but yet we, we have this almost glorification of the military, this idea of Anzac Day celebrating, uh, the, the, conflicts that we've been involved in as a country. And so there is a tension there. And Daniel Renault picks that up very nicely. Um, and he sort of examines that. He doesn't necessarily tell us what to think, but he gives us some really good tools to understand and that they, and he unpacks it in a way that's sort of fresh and interesting. So I, I found that piece actually very interesting and especially viewed in light of some of the other material in the magazine and the idea of forgiveness and the sacrifice of Jesus that we often reflect on. In some of the war memorials, you'll notice there's a verse that the sun shines on at a certain time of day. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And that's something that the mateship and the the concept of sacrifice that Anzac Day celebrates is also very tied into, I guess, 
the Easter themes of sacrifice and and Jesus and what he did for us. Mm, mm. Yeah, and, and I'm with you. I think that, you know, we serve a God who is very, you know, very much anti-war. And uh, for myself, I take a very, a very strong non-combatancy view towards war. But I guess at the same time for myself, I recognize that not everybody saw it the same way that I see it. And people did pay the ultimate sacrifice. And I'm going to remember the fact that they did that. And this is the approach that I take to it because I believe that, as you say, as the Bible says, no man has made a greater sacrifice than, than those that have laid down their lives uh, for others. And in my case, for me. One of the, I'll just, just throw this in as a side note there while we're talking about Anzac is that uh, for our Anzac Day special here on the breakfast show, we always try and interview somebody who is either currently serving or previously served. Uh, but recently we've been interviewing descendants of people who served on the opposite side of the conflict. And we interviewed somebody, you know, whose, whose father, uh, served in, uh, Russia for the Germans, uh, last year. This year we have coming up as a part of our special. We're, we're interviewing a Japanese girl whose uh, parents were involved in the, in the Second World War. Uh, grandparents, I should say, were involved in the Second World War and looking at some of those memories, um, of that conflict. So yeah, that'll be coming up further on, on Faith FM. What else have you got there in, uh, what else have you got happening in the Science Magazine? Um, we've got an article from a paleontologist looking at um, the, the history of fossils and what fossils can tell us about the the world and how it developed. We've got a story, um, a little bit of a, a, a difficult story, but it's actually a, a review on a documentary, a film about suicide. So a really heavy topic, but I think many of us know people who have, um, suffered from mental health problems or we may even know people who have, have taken those steps and so this gives the opportunity to explore that heavy sort of topic. I think it's uh, a really important one. A really good I think if yeah, I just butt in there for a moment, I think that's a very important topic to discuss because you you mentioned I think that you know most of us know about suicide. I would go as far as to say that probably all Australians know somebody who who has committed suicide because it is such a big killer in this country, and you know the mental mm. illnesses that go along with that. We need to not sweep this under the carpet. We need to get it out there, and we need to talk about it more because it's a major killer, and we need to be looking at you know, as many ways as we possibly can to alleviate the suffering that results in suicide. Yeah, definitely. Um, suicide is the leading, according to this article that we've got in science, suicide is the leading cause of death for Australians between the ages of 15 and 44. Mm. Um, so a huge, a huge issue. And as you say, um, we all probably know someone who knows someone or we actually know someone mm. um, who's, either attempted or, or gone down that road. And I, I, it's a difficult situation when you have to comfort the family of, of those people and even difficult to talk about to find the right words because I know there's regulations around, you know, how we report in the media when we write uh, and talk about suicide. You know, we are always encouraged to put lifeline details on the end of, yes. of that um, article and we've got those details there if you're reading, but if you're listening to this as well, I'd encourage you if you if you need to seek help, you know, professional help, counselling, uh, Lifeline, call Lifeline, talk to talk to people who can who can help because um, you know you're not alone. Yeah, one three one 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 four. Make sure we we cover that. So, so I'd encourage you if you need to call that number. Yep. Mm. Fantastic, Jared. Yeah, we, uh, a really important topic. 
Yes, we are running out of time here, and um, but thank you so much for joining us. Very quickly, how do we interact with uh, Science Magazine? How do we read the magazine or subscribe to it? Yeah, Lyle, if you visit signsofthetime.org.au, you will find our website there. You can sign up, you can read the articles in this month's magazine, and we'd love you to follow us on um, Signs of the Times, A-U-N-Z, on Facebook. Jarrah Stackleroth, thank Sorry. you so much for joining <laughs> us here this morning on Faith FM. We're going to be back after the 8 o'clock news uh, with Encounter with God. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.